Yo, what's up? It's your girl, Kilowatt. I'm finally back. I did it. I'm fucking here. I showed up. I'm sitting in my fucking driver's seat like I do. <laughs> I'm so fucking weird. Okay, can we just put that on note? Just for the record, like if you thought I was normal, just take a minute and, and retract that. <laughs> uh, it just recently started to rain. And... My kids are asleep. I'm sitting on my deck smoking a cigarette like I do. And I'm talking to a friend about the lessons presented to us and the hardships that sometimes just come out of our own doing. Like we might subconsciously create them. But I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about my life recently because that's sort of a thing that I do and um I decided to come up with like a better way of podcasting because I've found and I'm just give me a sec while I drink something like a tactic or a method or um a technique of podcasting and I'm a really strong writer I've been writing my whole life And I started to take notes on anything that stood out to me or things that inspired me throughout the week because I knew I needed to put out a podcast with a little bit more weight. I mean, aside from the drama, (laughs) which, yeah, that's thrilling and shit, but everybody has drama. I just I want this to be something where we could all learn together, because a lot of the times I don't truly understand how I feel until I say something out loud to myself. So if you see me driving around talking to myself, it's because I'm trying to figure out how the fuck I feel. Um, and so this quote from Nassim Harame, who's a very famous physicist, uh, like fucking legit. If you don't know him, you got to look his shit up. Um, The quote, infinity within a bounded space, which represents all of us, right? Because that's what we are. We're, we continue to come back over and over again. And um, we represent eternity. The bounded space is our flesh and this reality or dimension that we've created in our consciousness so that we could obtain lessons. Um, and so I took notes and I kind of like, I wrote a script a little bit, like, don't judge me. Hold on. I wrote a little bit of a script because like what, like one of the reasons why being bad is so fun (laughs) is that you can't truly have fun until you know where the boundaries are. And then you have to know like, like where to cross. (laughs) When someone's like, no, don't, don't broach that. Don't cross that. That's not a thing. You just say, oh, okay. And then you wait till they're not looking and then you step over the line anyway, because it's fun. What are we supposed to do to have fun on this fucking planet? Then push a little boundaries. (laughs) And this is why I'm like a baby goat. Like you tell me not to do something and I'm going to be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. uh Uh-huh. And then as soon as you look away, I'm going to like frolic over to the line and just like tiptoe over it. But I'm not wild. Like I don't, I'm not like a fucking lion right now. I'm going to trot back, but I just, I like to push it. And so, uh, 
what I wrote from reading that quote was infinity within a bounded space. Um, came out something like this is that you have to do what you have to do, like do the fucking thing to get to your true vibration. So that means you might ebb and flow. Okay. Uh, you have to, you have to eventually end up at your authentic self, which is who you chose to become in this carnation. Okay. So you release your shackles even if you're bound and stagnant and you end up doing things that propel you forward to another path. Like right now, my entire life is falling apart, but I'm still driving in circles and podcasting and sharing a fuck ton of memes because everybody's struggling and dying, but we have to keep moving through our own version of reality and infinite balance. And balance and harmony and your internal peace and finding your right amount of balance in the give and take. Uh, I think that I Ching says something about a pot boiling on a fire. It's an analogy that they use to describe the attachment or the attainment of finding your bliss. Or the balance in your soul. So if you prolong that feeling long enough, everything that's meant to be will become yours eventually. So we become extremely impatient. Like we start getting edgy and anxious and we start doing asshole things and sending asshole messages to people that are trying to fix their own shit anyway. Like you want to get impatient with someone who's also trying to fix their shit because you don't know what else to do because you're going to be impatient. But you don't really have to panic or chase or force anything because your identity is self-reliant. It's not age-driven. It's not circle-based. It doesn't matter what you do for work, how you play, how much you save, or how well you plan. All you can do is prepare for your hardship that's to come because inevitably it will and find a way to survive the best way to do that would be to balance yourself. And that is um, like equivalent to the seesaw, right? Like I think I'd mentioned that a few times where I figured out that in really prominent relationships, I have a tendency to run at that person because they represent a piece of my soul I'm trying to learn. But the universe is a cruel in the way that that if what I desire is on the other side of the seesaw, I'm going to run full force because that's what my life energy is. Like, I'm just going to fucking book it. And the closer that I get to the center of the seesaw, the imbalance begins to happen. And what I need to obtain falls farther away from me because what I need to know in this life is how to just completely sit in my own being, 100% self, nobody else, no attachment, and feel fine with that. And once I sit in that balance, that's when I'll attain what I want. You just have to have patience. You have to know that you're going to attract the tribe that you were meant to be a part of, and you have to have faith. And As I sat there thinking about faith, I started making more notes on soul contracts. And soul contracts is like a type of theory where um, 
we're all part of a collective consciousness, right? Like we're all part of one consciousness that aspires to learn every inch of itself to fully identify its true core being. So by doing that, it kind of went through a splice moment, like that movie Splice. And I could be wrong. Like, I don't really remember. It's it's a movie about a man uh, who had multiple personality disorder. And uh, I remember one of the personalities, her name was Patricia. And like, I just, I liked that movie because it really, truly, uh, like it touched base on what collective consciousness is. Like, we're all just one super powerful being with multiple personality disorder. Like, really, like we could be sitting in a fucking alleyway just talking to ourselves. Like that is the essence of our entire being. (laughs) That's pretty fucked up. Honestly, if you think about it, um, excuse me while I drink something and also figure out my password because let's talk about children and how nosy they are and I always change my password because I don't fucking know I don't want my kids to see some porn shit on my phone that's wrong like I have a fascination with GAFs like gifts I don't know what it is about like the uh inappropriate thing where like I see two people kissing like that's my I love it that's like porn to me I'm like oh my god they love each other like it doesn't even have to be sexually explicit it could just be like that moment that you breathe in like right before you receive the energy of another person because you can feel their entire fucking being that's super powerful (laughs) and so for me I'm like obsessed with like just understanding that energy like it's a sexual energy yeah okay don't fucking freak out but like like I'm a pervert so there it is take that (laughs) and I don't want my fucking seven-year-old to be like oh what's mom looking at and then find that so I can't fucking figure out my passcode ever for the life of me so excuse me while I drink something enjoy the silence So, back to what I was saying. (sighs) Soul contracts are something that happen when we, as individual consciousness, uh, choose to carnate or embody one flesh and select our group of people that we aspire to learn, like, certain karmic lessons from or with. And actually, uh, tonight, well, I'll get to that. Um, sometimes you learn the same lessons alongside your soul partner. Sometimes you watch people fall apart in the same way that you're falling apart, only on a different format. So while you're still learning the lesson from that person, you're also just running parallel with them. And the dream, you know, in this carnation is to step into a place where you can be romantically involved with your soul partner. Like there's always going to be one, like you think about a group of friends in school, right? There's going to be your best fucking friend and that's your dude or your gal or your person. And you're going to fucking find them And it's going to be great, but there are certain carnations where you won't be able to romantically fall in love. And, and truthfully, we all know that like deep down romantically 
to connect with a soul partner on that level in this carnation is really fucking rare because in, in another carnation, like they could be your brother or your dad or your child. Like you're not going to reach that level of intimacy that you could reach with that particular person. So it's actually a pretty valuable experience and you should always pay attention to that. Like if you meet someone and you just fucking know, like, yo, whoa, boom, <laughs> shit, I am totally fucked. Like, When you meet that person, you just know like that your entire existence is fucked up. If you, yeah. So, I mean, because they have the power to fuck with you even if they do nothing. And it's so hard. It's so hard to be a part of that. (sighs) Anyway. Um, That being said, when you're in this place of growing and learning and um, attaining that essence of your true authentic self, things can get a little stagnant. Like you might have to go to work when you feel like you want to kill yourself. <laughs> That's real life. Sometimes you think about that and you're like, oh, fuck, if I have to go to work today, I'll fucking die. Like if I have to do any more grown up things, I might fucking lose it. And this could be the fucking day. And when you figure that out and you realize that you're stepping into a place of complete self-detriment, you have to understand that you're there to continually chip away at a big block of something that is in the way of you and your true self. And so sometimes we have to do tedious, monotonous things to get to the other side. Um, Excuse me. I haven't, like, successfully quit smoking cigarettes yet. I don't think I've successfully quit anything yet, like, if I'm being real. <sighs> Maybe I quit, like, uh, self-victimization where you perpetually get yourself into these situations where you're always the victim. I didn't realize I'd done that as a kid, like, until I got into an abusive marriage and then I found myself constantly blaming and finger pointing and being like, well, he's why I couldn't find my true self. No, bitch. He couldn't, he couldn't have that power because the only person that has that power is you. So I, I, um, I fell back on the situation I was in to blame someone else for my lack of work. And I'm not looking to play that game this time around. I'm really not because nobody has time for that. Nobody. So yeah, I'm smoking right now. P.S. I have my demons. Um, But I talked to the vice president of our union today and he told me about one of my good friends who I vibe with on a really strong level. Like I'm sure she's part of my soul group. People call us twins. Like she's a cool bitch. And um. He told me tonight that she had been triggered because at some point two men had tried to rape her on her bus. So she had an extreme, uh, circumstance, like an event 
right? Like it was a trigger. Okay. So she's already trying to get better. She's been trying to better herself. I know because her and I both talk sometimes and, and, and I'm just like, yo, I'm like super fucked up. And she's like, me too. <laughs> and I just, I love her. Cause she's honest. Like I don't fucking get people that walk into a room and their entire world is on fire and they're like, Oh, everything's fine. It's totally great. Like, why isn't everything fine for you? Dude, we need each other. We need the honesty. And if you're going to walk in and tell me that everything in your life is fine and not on fire, fuck you. (laughs) Like, I hope it burns more right now. I hope it stings a lot. And so... John told me, he said, look, yo... She straight up thought I was one of the guys that was attacking her on the bus that night. Like, he was like, I could tell she was being triggered hardcore. And um, it makes me so mad. I'm not going to cry because every podcast I cry, I'm not going to fucking do it this time. I won't. I refuse. I'm going to be a stubborn baby goat right now and just stay on my ground. (laughs) I said, um, well, how is she? And he said, uh, she checked out of the facility she was supposed to attend to get back to work. He said she walked eight miles to get away from them and go to the nearest bar. And I realized that her and I are the same We're exactly the same. There's nothing different about her and I. There's nothing different. It's just circumstance. Like, I just happen to be married to somebody who really wants to possess me. Like, who, like, watches everything that I do everywhere I go and doesn't mind keeping me around so he can continue to watch me and love me. You know, like, it's weird. I love him, but Jesus. Like, let me go to the bathroom. Like, what is happening? Like, I know I'm not a piece of something to own. And so I'm just tangled up in this while trying to fight to get my own freedom in a way because I realized that I'm his detriment and he's mine and this needs to end. Like I've known this. We've all known this. This is a fucking thing. And she and I are no different. It's just circumstance. I just, I just fucking bet some dude at a wedding one summer who is fascinated with me and I still like, I know I'm great, but I don't know why it could be Mars, Pluto and South node, which is the energy of the warrior spirit, the desire, the thing that lights the fire under your ass to get and go paired with deep transformation, rebirth, growth, and obsession on top of my previous life experience, uh, in my first house of Scorpio, which is the deepest shit you could get. And his Venus is directly placed on top of that position. So this is a really strong energy and it's hard to shake for both parties because it's really obsessive and it's really dysfunctional. And it reminds me a lot of the story between, uh, God, Persephone, the goddess series and, Hades, like, so Hades, the god of the underworld, uh, tricked Persephone into a marriage. Like, he got her down there, or he kidnapped her. 
and the goddess Ceres or Dimitri was the goddess of earth and she lost her daughter to this guy in the underworld. Like he kept her, he took her. So as a way to get back at him and in her own personal grief, she completely made the world barren. She refused to grow anything. Humans were dying everywhere. It was the longest winter that I've ever had. And somehow Persephone convinced Hades to allow her to come up and visit the actual world from to leave the underworld. And Mercury, or Hermes, uh, was the the person in charge of the boat to row them from the underworld to the awakened world. And so uh, you'll see that through Greek mythology, um, spring, winter, summer... Summer is when Persephone was here with her mother and winter is where she's down in Hades and it grows like when she's in summer. Okay. Fucking 4th of July barbecues. Everybody's popping. Good time. Cool time in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking all that bullshit. Then it's time to go back. She starts packing her bags and what starts happening fall because her mother realizes that she's losing her daughter again. And she's about to miss her. And then her daughter finally leaves and goes to the underworld. And then it's winter. And hell hath no fury like an ice storm in the winter. I'm pretty sure my Line 6 crew would understand that. We all got stuck downtown for like three hours. (laughs) On the west end of the Columbia Gorge. Jesus. Starbucks shut down at like 3 p.m. It'd be like six other drivers were like sit there just freezing our asses off. Actually, it was four. It was me, George, and I can't remember two others. It might be Jennifer and another fella. But we all paired off. Like with the ice storm hit. Like I actually parked my car in the in the parking lot next to it, the road relief point at Fourth and Jefferson, and like. Well, there's a snowstorm. Like dispatch is clouded. Nobody knows who to call, but we all know we have to be at a certain place and time at that particular date. And it was taking the buses hours to get to us because MLK was an ice sheet. There was traffic blocked. It took um, three additional hours for the first bus to roll through. And in the interim, me and George Elmore would like walk and we branched off in pairs and I remember that was the day I forgot my fucking gloves and like my actual winter jacket. So I was wearing like this windbreaker <laughs> in a skirt and tights. And I was like walking with George and we both had our little backpacks. And initially we would take turns going down to the Starbucks. And then Starbucks said, you know what? This isn't safe for our employees. We're going to go home. We're closing shop. So <laughs> that means the poor bus drivers that had to sit there waiting for their buses or else they would get, you know, time loss and an oversleep, like they'd be penalized for not being there. Um, we're sitting at the bus stop for three plus hours. And I'm seriously debating on how to put the picture of this podcast up. Like, is it going to be me and line six snow crew or is it going to be a stubborn baby goat? Because I feel like a stubborn baby goat right now. Um, but I feel like you should see who they were. And the many faces of me because my look constantly changes. 
Like I literally, if you look through all my pictures, like I'm a, I'm an evolving being. Like you're never going to see the same girl three years from now. I'm going to look different. I'm going to be different. I'll feel different. It's Mars and Pluto transformation. My ultimate life energy is placed on top of transformation, growth and rebirth. So I'm constantly reinventing who I am. And when that's paired with my past life energy, that's the strongest energy of my chart. I think I did the Douglas chart and it, and it weighs it all on top of like um, points in a system of what planetary energy is strongest. And Mars was the strongest. And Mars rules, uh, it rules Scorpio and Aries. And ironically, my moon is placed in Aries. So just heavy ass Scorpio Pluto energy over here. Hi, you guys. I'm the devil. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, but we paired off in groups, like groups of two. We would walk around. I remember sitting in front of the, the police precinct near like third or second main. And I just remember being like, oh, like I remember cursing like so much. And I know that George is like super Christian native dude. And he's just so fucking cool. Like he's a cool guy. And I just remember having a full-on cursing fest. Like, I was like, it's so fucking cold. I don't want to be here. It's like a home. Like, if I, if I can't get to my car, it's going to be here for days. Like, and I was right. I was totally fucking right. Because when we made the pact to group off into pairs. Like, because we had to keep warm. Like, we had to survive, you guys. Shit was real. <laughs> and um, we broke off. And so me and George said, look, look, if one of our buses comes, you fucking tell us like what happens because we're like the goal was the turnaround point downtown is columbia and 18th and goose hollow so we all agreed in a pact to say look if we have to sit here for three hours freezing to death and facing hypothermia because there's no warm place for us to go like at this point any lawyer would be like you had every right to abandon your vessel <laughs> <laughs> but bus driver life says no moss. Like, uh, you better get your ass to the bus stop, you motherfucking asshole. So we get there, and uh, me and George are looping around second in Maine. Meanwhile, Jennifer and some other dude, I think his his name might have been Paul. I don't, we, I didn't vibe with him that well, and not because he wasn't worth vibing with, but because I was so cold, I couldn't think straight, and I knew her before, and so uh. We, me and George were like walking through and I was like holy fucking shit it's freezing I hate everything and then we looped back around and I don't even really know how I got on this story but it felt valid because uh, those people I was meant to be with at that very moment in time and ironically when we all finally got all of our buses like I think Jennifer had to drive one of the buses up but there is an operator who finally got her bus and she went up to 18th and Jefferson and looped around through Columbia and ended up getting stuck and like totally blocked off all of the whole road, Columbia and 18th. And that's where you get the drivers who are like, yo, it's like blocked. Like I have to sit here and go to Starbucks. Sorry. And I remember being like, I could have taken the easy day, but I knew that everybody was out there waiting for their fucking bus. Like there are people out there without cars. And they fucking need us to get to work or go with their kids. Like, show up or get the fuck out of the way. Because people have to go places. And so, I was sitting with George. And there was this uh, abandoned bus at 18th and Columbia. And the supervisor had taken the driver back to the garage for drug testing. 
and they were supposed to send another supervisor out to move the bus, but it, it was going to take a few hours. And that's after waiting three hours for our buses. So we could have spent the whole day like sitting at that fucking spot, you know, finally making it 10 blocks and looping around getting stuck again. But then there was George. And he's the baddest motherfucker alive. Excuse me while I drink something. And so we're sitting there. And George is like, yo. Because I was smoking a cigarette looking at it. Like, I could move that. And George walks up to me. He's like, yo, what's up? I said, hey. I said, aren't you glad we waited three hours for this shit? He's like, I know, right? We have people to move. Like, what the fuck? So then he says that. And he's like, he's looking at the bus like I was looking at the bus. And he's like, we could move that. And I was like, let's do it. He's like, you promised not to tell anybody. So let's go. I think I took a picture of him moving the bus because he's, he was the more senior driver than I was. And I wasn't about to fucking parallel park a bus against the corner of Columbia and 18th parallel parking. Like, <laughs> Jesus. And so I said, okay, yo, like, let's go. So I'm spotting for him and he moves the bus. He gets that shit fucking one inch from the curb. Dude's a boss. And then we, we ran that route. Like we ran line six. And I remember like, cause it had taken so long. People were walking. I picked a guy up at Lombard who said he'd been walking, uh, from like Hawthorne. He said, I waited for the six and I realized it was going to take a while. So I wanted to see how far I would go. And I stopped him just before the I-84. No, no, no. Lombard is like, fuck, where was it? Just after, um... Like Ainsworth, really fucking close uh, to like Jansen Beach. Dude made it real fucking far and he was freezing and he said he was going to lose his job if he didn't get to work that night. And nobody he knew had chains. Nobody could move. It was stuck. He's like, fuck it. I'll just walk. So he started walking and I picked him up at Lombard. and He was like, oh, my God, thank you so much. And I did another thing that I call a victory lap when it's a snowstorm. I do one more circle because dispatch doesn't fucking care as long as you're not crashing. And as long as you don't exceed hours of service, which is like 12 to 13 hours of drive time. So I got on my bus and as soon as I finished my shift, I said, I'm going to give it one more go. And I picked up this, this young kid over by Gertz Road and he was like oh fuck dude like I have to get to work and I was like I got you boo and so I got I got over there he's like thank you so much you're gonna so amazing and like that's why we do what we do because there's people to move in more than one way like you have to move them spiritually and physically and emotionally and on a heart level and that's why I do what I do and why I love it and so see look what I did I just got back on my little tangent shit, but back to my, my notes, back to the notes, you guys. Um, I talked about how impatience was an abusive type of love. Like love is patient. Love is kind. That quote holds power because it's impatient to push someone that you love who's not fully to their essence yet to progress quickly. When you possess the level of impatience, you lose the essence of love because you're trying to control someone. And love is not controlling. That's obsession. 
And as someone who has strong obsessive energy in her chart, I have learned how to, I guess, um, evaluate every situation of like, okay, are you being obsessive? Or are you being possessive or impatient? Because people need space and time to fuck up. We need to fuck up. We have to pick the wrong path a thousand times before we fall into the one that we know is right for us. So that when we fall into that path, we know that that's the one we want. I mean, God forbid you fucking pick someone right off the cuff and then like what? You never know if they're truly yours or if you just randomly waltzed into something. I mean, some people luck out and they sign up for that. I have a a couple of friends named Eric. And I'm not sure why I can't remember her name right now. It's really weird. I have that problem because I've... Uh, Eric and... Jesus. Like, and I was closer to her than him. And that's the thing that I think is a threat, though. When you get tied into someone at at such a young age, before you really truly know yourself, you end up identifying with them more than you do yourself. And because of my energy, I feel like that is probably the the biggest Venus flytrap to fall into. <sighs> And now I'm obsessed with knowing her name, so I'm going to type it in because I'm weird. Angelica. Jesus, thank you. Eric and Angelica. God, that would have bothered me. Okay. But back to what I was saying, and I'm not going to continue like going on and on, but it's just a way of understanding that impatience with another human who you know is part of your soul group It's a sign of resentment, which is one of the four horsemen of relationships, like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Okay. There are four horsemen in a relationship that also represent the same thing, which is the detriment and ultimate, like ultimate finality of your connection. So the second you start to do stonewalling, like resenting, holding contempt and, um, like an inability to connect with that person, you've already lost the heart of the the relationship, the, the heart of the union. So to master the art of faith and knowing that everything that is yours is meant to be and will be is probably the biggest sign that you're ready for a love that you're meant to have. Um, also holding respect for those who are waiting and treading water. That woman that I spoke about this evening, and I I wanted to share a story. I, I mentioned it in a few podcasts ago that she had talked a man down from the edge of a an overpass. And she said to him, like, I think after two hours, she was like, fuck this. I'm fucking tired. I need a goddamn cigarette. <laughs> and he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're having a cigarette? Can I 
can I have one? <laughs> and she's like, sure, dude, get the fuck over here. Let's smoke. Let's go. Which is, you know, like pretty fucking cool. She saved a man's life by being honest with her own emotions and saying out loud, I can't fucking do this. I need a cigarette. And dude was like, yo, nicotine. Hey, (laughs) yo, if that's what, like, if I was sitting in that situation and, and I had like everything at my disposal, I would say to them, Hey, do you want to do some heroin or like anything I could think of, like just to get them down from that ledge. And it wasn't that she was saying that to get him off the ledge. She just said, look, yo, like I can't fucking do this mentally. I'm about to lose it. And I don't want you to jump from this, but I'm about to go have a goddamn cigarette. And he he got off the bridge just to go smoke with her. And I got word that she was struggling with addiction. She checked herself out of a rehab facility. And she's hit rock bottom. Like, she's there. Sorry, it's super windy and my, my car door just blew closed. Um... But yeah, it's the same friend who saved a man's life on an overpass in Portland. Um, Basically, she's a wounded angel because she was placed here to save other people. That's why she's come in contact with so many and made such a difference in so many people's lives, even if she's, you know, a little flawed. And right now her demons are winning and she's treading water. And I think about angels that are here on the planet that come in contact with a lot of people. I think of my own mom. And for 20 plus years, her job at the county was to make single women strong. Like that was her fucking job, her job title. Like, yo, first time moms with children, you know, in the belly to age two, you get to spend time with these women and you also get to do social work and your goal is to motivate and inspire them to become stronger, independent women. My mom told me growing up, she said it so many times. She told me so many stories of the same thing is that her most significant childhood memory, uh, triggered by trauma, um, was treading water. It was in her, her sim, her swimming class. She said that she thought she was going to drown and she was sitting in this big pool of water. And at the time, the swim instructor was looking at the other lifeguard and he was not paying attention to her. And she remembered screaming, hey, and he wasn't listening. He was not listening. And she was like, I can't do it. My legs hurt. And her legs are burning. Because they would just put kids in a big pool of water and make them tread water. Like that's what swimming classes were in the 70s or 60s. And so... To me, like, I thought about that and I said, well, the most significant memory of her childhood was treading water to save her own life. And it represented a recurring lesson in her own life as an adult and as one that I've observed as her child and her family member, closest family member, and it presented something valuable. Because your most significant childhood memory or trauma is very symbolic of a life lesson you failed to master 
in lifetimes before this carnation. It's a lesson that you desire to attain. So for your own well-being, please do not allow distractions to deter you from your own path. Because it's always about finding that equilibrium, that balance within of our like within ourselves, that demon side and balancing with the light, the shadow and the dark. Everyone around you, everything around you is a mirror of what you're doing to find that balance and to attain that path. And now I'm going to take a little side trip. Are you ready? So I don't know if you remember, but in 2012, everyone was talking about how the Mayan calendar predicted the end of the world But it was actually predicting the ending of the world as we collectively knew it. Because our reality shifted when CERN turned on the Hadron Collider in Switzerland. Now please fucking Google that. CERN, C-E-R-N, was attempting to create a very dense molecule that they believed would have been the God particle. Like creating a star. From nothing, or maybe from the surrounding matter. But it created a molecule so so dense that it penetrated the fabric of our own reality. It penetrated the fabric of space and time and ruptured the dimension as we know it. So irregularities in people's memory recall began to present themselves all over the world over thousands of different like groups of people. And it suggests that those operating on a similar frequency grouped together in soul groups slid into an entirely different dimension next to ours, leaving those behind on another plane of existence. You'll notice a lot of people started to wake up around 2012. 2012 was a pretty heavy year. And, um... If you consider the shift of so many people during that time into an awakening state, it could depict those who made it barely and are recovering. So they go into their demons. They'd start going through coping, like drug addiction, alcohol addiction, codependency, relationship. Like the, they're a thing um, because it's showing like proof of an an immense growth happening on a soul and core deep psyche level. So I sat there thinking on that. And one of my favorite shows growing up in the 90s was a show called Sliders. It was on the movie channel Sci-Fi on public television. But it was pretty spot on because it talks about taking wormholes into another dimension similar to ours. Only instead of our physical bodies being relocated, uh, it would be our consciousness. So the Mayans could have been spot on with that. Like maybe our consciousness, our collective consciousness and our soul groups shifted into another dimension. And physically we didn't, but mentally and consciously we did. And it opens up a whole can of worms similar to uh, false memory recall which is what Wikipedia uses to describe that thing. 
in that movie or that show called, you know, Sliders, it talks about a group of friends. In my mind, it's a soul group. Hold on, I'm cold. I'm going to close the door. Oh, I have to pee, so I should probably end this soon. Um, <laughs> I'm such a perfect human, you guys. You should be so impressed. Um, <laughs> so it uh, that that show I talked about, The Sliders, uh, talked about a group of friends. How I see it in an analogy it would be us as a soul group falling together, and every single time we would meet someone or they would meet someone uh, on another plane, thus this dimension that held their exact frequency, uh, that group of people or those individuals could join them as a collective and uh, experience a frequency shift. So it's like we are infected with coronavirus. We're just rolling around infecting other people now because we're in a completely different dimension and we've already pierced the veil. So... In that show, they would meet those people who matched their frequency level and they could jump together, slide together. And the people in the group that initially started the shift, uh, who might have experienced a frequency shift or a frequency shift based off of like a change of a circumstance, and their mindset would be lower would decide to stay in that particular dimension, right? And then they would allow those who they came with to slide on and they would stay. Um, it seems pretty spot on and kind of eerie when I describe it. But what I'm describing to you through that analogy of the sliders is the Man- Mandela effect. And I wanted to give a few examples of the Mandela effect. Um, a lot of people re- remember Nelson Mandela dying in the 80s versus dying in 2013. That peanut butter company, Jif, J-I-F, is actually Jiffy in this dimension. Looney Tunes is not actually Looney Tunes as in the tone, T-U-N-E-S, it's actually considered Looney Tunes, as in the cartoon, T-O-O-N-S. Uh, the Bernstein Bears uh, would be known in this dimension as the Bernstein Bears. Febreze versus Febrez. Oscar Mayer versus Oscar Mayer. The hyphen in the Kit Kat bar. Uh, the color chartreuse being a shade of green and actually not a shade of pink or red. Mirror, mirror on the wall versus magic mirror on the wall in the story Snow White. Luke, I am your father versus the movie replay of the original film now stating I am your father. There's no moment where he says, Luke, I am your father. Uh, that movie in Silence of the Lambs, he says, hello, Clarice. And in the original film, now, if you look it up, all he says is good morning. Uh, Freddie Mercury belting it out of the world at the end of the song singing We Are the Champions actually never happened. 
If you look it up right now, if you look up Freddie Mercury, we are the champions. At the end, he never says of the world. Mr. Rogers, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? In this dimension, it replays as it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. Uh, Smokey the Bear being real in this dimension versus Smokey the Bear. So Smokey Bear and then Smokey the Bear. So Smokey the Bear being real in this dimension as Smokey the Bear in the old one. I always remember it being Smokey the Bear, but it's actually just Smokey Bear. So as our frequencies adjust, we will slowly forget those who fiercely embrace the Mandela effect, despite the power of suggestion or logo changes or a brand resolution. It still doesn't describe the audible differences. Those on the spectrum with strong audible memory, myself included, uh, remain immune of suggestions from society. And there's a strong indication that something more powerful is happening. My theory is that we're a select group of souls meant to travel through each dimension as our frequency adjusts and expand until we become a single entity. So if you're, if you're part of this crew, (laughs) uh, if you're part of the crew that I dub or what my dear friend Jim calls as team rabbit hole, I tip my hat to you. I have to pee. I'm going to go inside and go to sleep. Um, But yeah, there's my snippet. I finally got it done. I've been wanting to do this podcast for a while. I just haven't felt inspired enough to accomplish it. So I hope you're doing well. You know, I will always love you guys. And I'm thinking of you when I'm not here. So kilowatt out. Good night. I'll see you later.